0: You can turn over to Matthew chapter 18. And uh, we're going to be closing off this chapter in the next couple weeks. As you know, we've been dealing with the child likeness of the believer and uh, how, as believers, Christ really relates to us as his children. And uh, we saw that in uh, the first couple verses there of chapter 18, where it talks about us coming into the kingdom as children. And then we have to be protected as children, we need to be um, provided for as children, and disciplined as children. And we've looked at those over the last uh, several weeks, and now we come to the topic of uh, when you are sinned against and you go to them, and uh, they repent, and they are um, willing to ask your forgiveness and it seems like this, the way the Lord laid it out works. You went to him one-on-one or her one-on-one and if they didn't listen, you took two more and then you took the church and, and it all panned out. It has a, um, creates a kind of a question in your mind and some of you may have been thinking the last couple of weeks, well Yeah. You say that's the way to do it, but you don't know the person I'm dealing with. Um, The nature of forgiveness itself is probably one of the most profound um, aspects, you might say, of grace itself. of The reconciling factor of grace. Forgiveness is never um, easy, is it? Uh, It's hard. It's probably one of the most difficult things in the in the world to do. Um, Because forgiveness means this. Forgiveness means that the forgiving person, as this innocent one, resolves his own wrath over the sin of the guilty one and lets the guilty one go free. That's what forgiveness is. To forgive means that one genuinely loves somebody. And that love can move beyond the issue to the person. And you care more about the person than about what he's done or she has done. Uh, let me tell you, forgiveness, there's a, there's a power, there's a force that's behind the aspect of forgiveness. When, when we forgive people, when we're willing to forgive people, there's a sense of empowerment I think, that God brings into our lives. Forgiveness frees the person for the options of living. And when we refuse to forgive, when we downplay forgiveness, um, it really limits the offender, but it also uh, holds the guilty under one's thumb. I don't know if you're like me, but have you ever wished you could rewind the tape on life and say something maybe a little differently than what you said? You've been in those situations, I'm sure. Have you ever wished you could just hit the, uh, you might call it the reset button for your day or your week or your month? Um. Sometimes we just kind of, we want to reboot you know, we want to, you know, I think on the PC it's what? Control-Alt-Delete, right? I mean, I use Macs now, so I don't have that problem anymore. But, those of you still enslaved to the PC, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> See, but the good news is that, that God serves up our life in what I like to call bite-sized chunks. Bite-sized pieces of minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, and years. And he does that for a purpose. Because at the beginning of each one of those sections, you can have a fresh start. You can start over. You can hit the reset button or reboot or whatever you want to call it and start the day afresh. And we're going to be celebrating communion here in a couple minutes. And the one thing I realize is that when we come to this table... This is a time for us as a body of Christ, at least on a monthly basis, if not more often, a monthly basis, definitely, to kind of reset things, to refocus, to make sure that our priorities are in the right order, to make sure that we're we're doing what we need to be doing for the Lord, and to really focus on that. Now, you know, in any kind of a family, um, whether it's a marriage or whether it's a family or extended family, whatever, there's always issues. So and so arrives late to the Christmas dinner. You know how could he? How dare he do that? You know or whatever. And th- these issues come up, okay, um, within the families of people. And whenever issues come up in our lives, we have an opportunity to be Christ-like. We have an opportunity to come across in such a way that says, you know what, Uh, I'm going to acknowledge that and I'm just going to forgive you for it. You're never more like Christ when you do that. You're never more like Christ when you are willing to extend the hand and forgive a brother or sister or even a non-believer for something that they have done against you. That's really the, you might say, the epitome of our Christian walk. When we do that, we're we're most like Christ. Uh, when your children do something wrong, I know when our grandkids do something wrong, you know, usually they end up getting into trouble. And sometimes, depending on what it is, maybe they said something rude or something to myself or grandma or something like that, and Crystal makes them come back. And they have to say they're sorry and ask for forgiveness. And they have to know why they're asking that. It's not just, oh, we go ask Grandpa for forgiveness. Okay, Grandpa, do you forgive me? Yeah, I forgive you. No, they, and it's heart-wrenching, okay, for me anyway. You know, and I kind of like to downplay, you know, it wasn't anything. Crystal, don't worry about it. But see, she's trying to teach kids certain principles and so i have to go along with this and so you know when you have a little uh, four-year-old or five-year-old coming up to you grandpa you got the eyes i'm sorry i was rude to you i said this that was whatever i mean what kind of monster would you be i don't forgive you <laughs> you know i'm not gonna forgive you see our, our tolerance on forgiveness seems to go you know we're, we're, we're able to tolerate forgiveness a lot easier with children, aren't we? It just seems that way. Why? Because they're, they're not all together. They're not, you know, um, they're not adults. They're not responsible. They do silly things. They do stupid things sometimes. And so for that, at times they ask for forgiveness and we freely give it to them. Freely. Because of their ignorance, because of their inability, because of just who they are as children. Well, what Christ is showing his disciples here in this section is that when you're childlike, All right. basically it's the equivalent of saying you're going to fail. Children fail. Children do things they shouldn't do. Children's, children break things. They, they do things by accident. They do all sorts of things. That as an adult, if you were to do them, boy, you'd be classified as, wow, what's wrong with this person? But see, we're, we're a lot more forgiving when it comes to children. And there are going to be times... When we do wrong things, because, you know what, we're still in the process of maturing as believers. The childlikeness of the believer. We're still putting our spiritual lives together and in priority. And when we do sin, and after we go through this process that we've been outlining the last couple weeks, we are also, the Bible points out, to be forgiven just as children are are to be forgiven. Remember, Christ has a little child on his lap this whole time in Matthew eighteen as he's talking to his disciples. And he's using that child as a prop, he's using that child as an example of innocence and, and just of of childlikeness. And he says, You have to be like this child if you want to come into my kingdom, and you've got to be protected like this child. You have to be disciplined like this child, but you also have to be willing to forgive. Now, people can hold grudges rather easily against adults, but it's very abnormal for someone to hold a grudge against a child. It just is. I've never heard of that, really. That would be really odd. You would really have to do something horrible as a child to have your parents hold that grudge against you for the rest of your life, especially when you're just a little, you know, two-, three-, four-year-old. That just doesn't happen. And we tend to forgive children readily. But when it comes to our adulthood, all of a sudden, somebody does something wrong against us, what happens? Well, our defenses kick in. And we don't go there as easy to the area of forgiveness. But it's a great virtue. It's a virtue that Christ manifested over and over and over again in his life. And it's necessary, if you're going to show love to people, if you're going to have any kind of meaning relationship with anybody, forgiveness has to be a constant in that relationship. I mean, can you imagine being in a marriage where there's no forgiveness? I don't know about you, but I'd be in trouble every day. I mean, I just, it wouldn't, it it wouldn't function. Because we're not perfect people, we're imperfect people. And we're called to love each other with the love of God. And man, there's sometimes I just thank God for forgiveness. And so we're going to look at this topic this week and today. We're just going to scratch the surface today because we have communion but I want to read for us the section that deals with this. And, and I want to uh, begin in verse 21 of chapter 18 of Matthew. Matthew 18, verse 21. And we're going to just read it through till the end of the, the chapter. And basically what happens is Peter asks a question, Jesus answers the question, and he gives him an illustration with a parable. So follow along as I read Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with the servants, When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him him to be sold with his wife and children and all that they had until payment was made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master said, of the, that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and he went and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and they reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me? And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Wow pretty interesting section of scripture. So many times we are wronged in life, and what does God call us to do? God calls us to forgive. God calls us to forgive. Well, I just want to set this morning as we prepare our hearts for forgiveness, I want us to understand, or for communion, I want us to understand a little bit more about forgiveness before we even really enter into this text, we enter in a little bit. But I want you to turn over to Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11. Proverbs 19, verse 11. And the Bible has a lot to say about forgiveness. It really does. And there are some people who carry burdens, weights around. I mean, imagine yourself weighted down with just bags of sand. That's what unforgiveness, if you're carrying unforgiveness in your heart, that's what it's doing to you. It's just weighing you down. Um, I remember when I was in high school, my uh, brother used to make me wear um, ankle weights, and I'd have to go run. (laughs) back and forth in front of the house with these ankle weights on. I just hate it. You know, it's just this added, you know, one or two pounds on your legs, and it was meant to make you stronger and everything, but it was hot. And I, I can still feel how those ankle weights, you know, they'd be kind of around your ankle, and they'd rub against your sock. And eventually, I even, I remember getting little blisters, you know, around, oh, it was horrible. He said, you'll thank me for this one day, <laughs> you know, yeah, whatever, you know. But I remember when I was able to take those, those weights off, I mean, I felt like I could run a million miles an hour. You know, I felt like I would walk on water when those weights were off. And that's what it is when we're carrying around the burden and this, this, just this burden of unforgiveness in our hearts. God wants us to unleash that. Well, in Proverbs 19, verse 11, here's what it says about uh, forgiveness. It says, good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook or forgive an offense. To pass over a transgression, some translations read. In other words, if you want to see a man at his best, it's when he is willing to forgive and is forgiving a sin that is committed against him. That's what Proverbs and just there, that has to place. Turn over to Ephesians in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 4. This kind of, Paul really outlines for us as Christians that we should, uh, forgiveness should be part of our our whole life he's talking about the whole new life from 17 down in, in in Ephesians chapter 4 but look at all the way down in verse 32 he just gets done telling him don't talk with bitterness or wrath and anger and clamor and all that guard your speech and then he says in verse 32 he says be kind to one another tender-hearted and what's what's to say next forgiving one another and then i love this phrase at the end of this verse because it's just so convicting As what? As God in Christ forgave who? Forgave you. The idea is, you know what, when somebody does something wrong against you, we don't attack that person. You don't make yourself out to be some self-righteous person, oh I can't believe they did this to me. That's not what we do. That's not what the Bible says we do. The Bible says that, you know what? Just as we've been reading in Matthew, you go to them, you explain the situation, whatever. And when it comes to a point in time where, you know what, they're, they're really acknowledging this or not. But if they acknowledge it, it's great. Because then you have reconciliation. right? But even if there's, there's no reconciliation in a relationship, the worst thing you can do is hold a grudge. The worst thing you can do is hold a grudge. I always tell people, you know what? this person you're talking to me about right now that we've just talked 30 minutes about and you're all worked up and your blood pressure's going through the roof and you're just, you know, you're all upset at how this person's treated you, whatever. I wonder what they're doing right now. They're probably out playing golf. They're probably just at work, having a good time. They're not thinking of you. And here you are, man. You're just so tight about this and you need to leave it go. See, but we, our, our flesh kicks in and we feel, well, no, we have the right and we, have, we demand this. No, if it works out, you go to them and they repent. Hey, great. Then there's reconciliation in the relationship. But it says here that we are to forgive one another, especially in the body of Christ, beloved. I mean, when we can't forgive a brother or sister in Christ, stop and think about it. I mean, we are in direct violation of what God says us that we should be doing right here in this verse. And we're to do it as God and Christ forgave you. I mean, did you deserve to be forgiven? Are you going to tell me that, oh yeah, I deserve salvation. When the Bible says that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that there's none righteous, no, not one. That at the proper time, Christ died for us, even though we were yet, what, still sinners, the Bible says? I mean, aren't you glad that you're part of a salvation program where God says, you know what, you don't have to get cleaned up for me to save you. I mean, think what it would be like if God said, hey, salvation's over here, and if you can make it over here, if you can get yourself clean enough to enter into my presence, well, then you'll be saved. There's a lot of religions like that. Most religions are like that in the world. I grew up in one all all your life, basically. What are you doing? You're trying to earn your way. You're trying to do stuff so that God will love you more. And sometimes when we're saved out of such a religion like that, I think sometimes we carry that over to our current Christian walk. Because it's a hard thing to get out of our head. I remember when I first became a Christian, that you know, I just felt like I needed to do stuff. So I just got busy doing stuff. And that's good, you should be busy for the Lord, but I mean, it, was, it, it had no boundaries. I mean, I would do anything. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I'm a Christian now, God died for me. Man, there's nothing I won't do for him, I gotta do everything. And I remember when I was at, at Indiana University of Pennsylvania my last year there, I mean, some of my studies actually suffered, because I was down at the church helping the pastor do something. (laughs) You know, just because they said, well, if anybody wants to come out on Thursday night to go on visitation, hey, I was there. You know, Saturday morning visitation, I was there. I didn't even know what visitation was. I was a brand new Christian. And we go around and hand out these tracts to people. Okay, fine. You know, we're going to paint the church. Hey, I'm there. And that's, that's fine. I mean, we should have a servant's heart. But what I'm saying is, some of that came out of the idea, "Wow, I have to do this because I want God to love me. And that's just not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we're saved not because of our works. We're saved onto good works. God has prepared before the foundation of the world works for us to do as believers. But those works don't lead to salvation. Those works are a result of our salvation. And so when it tells us here that we should be forgiving one another even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us, we are freely to offer this forgiveness to others. Because God didn't charge me. Last time I, I checked, He didn't charge me anything for the forgiveness that Christ offers me. I just had to ask for it. Well, look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. And Paul similarly told the, the Colossians here that it's a similar, very similar verse. He's talking verse 12 there. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And then he says this, bearing, in verse 13, with one another. What does that, that kind of sounds like it's a little bit of work, Right. I mean, I just don't know how I put up with that guy or that gal or whatever. That's that's the idea. You're bearing with them. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, because that's going to happen in any life it does, in any family, in any marriage, in any church. If you have a complaint against one another, what are you supposed to do? Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive not an option it's not an option and that word is is the idea that it has this ongoing mode of forgiveness in our life it's not a one-time deal we're going to talk about the different types of forgiveness at, at the end of this short lesson here today but but it's important to understand that here paul is saying you know what as you're interacting with the body of christ forgiveness just has to be right there at the top because you're going to have issues with everybody because we're all sinners saved by grace. we all have different personalities. We're all gifted in a different way. And when we come together, you know, I think it was Chuck Swindoll who said the church fellowship within the body of Christ is kind of like a pack of porcupines trying to get close together. <laughs> you know, they, they get only so close and then they start to prick each other. and That doesn't feel good, you know. That's what the body of Christ is like. And so when that happens, we should be forgiving to one another. It's the glory of man that we should forgive one another. And really, it's the obligation of the Christian who has been forgiven so much by God himself through Christ that we have a forgiving heart, that we don't bear grudges, that we don't hold on to resentment. Matter of fact, I would even say that we should be eager to forgive. We should count it a privilege that we can even forgive at all. When someone wrongs you, when someone does something wrong against you, in your heart, you should should be thinking, you know what? This is an opportunity for me to forgive that person. I mean, how many times have you thought that? I haven't. (laughs) So God's worked on me a while, kind of put me through the ringer and brought me through a process. And then eventually it's like, okay, I just got to let this go. This is ridiculous. It's eating me up. Well, when we look in the Old Testament, we see several different sections where... um, uh, God talks about forgiveness. But I want to, before we do that, I want to really look at the context of Matthew 18 and just kind of set this, the stage for our study for really next week. But in verse 21, remember this is, they're all there and they're all uh, talking with Jesus, probably in this this home. And uh, Jesus has a child on his lap and he gets done teaching them about how to deal with a sinning brother within the the body of Christ, within the church, within the assembly is the idea. And then Peter comes up to him. It says there in verse um, 21, Peter comes up and just to kind of put it in, in the context here, it says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? After all this discussion on discipline and how to confront somebody and to restore and reconcile and all this stuff, Peter comes up with this ingenious question. A lot of times people dump on Peter, you know, they, they make fun of him and that kind of stuff. Peter was always asking questions, wasn't he? I mean, he was just always asking questions. Sometimes they were good questions, sometimes they were they were not so good questions. But there's nothing wrong with asking questions, Beloved. And I think a lot of times when people don't ask questions, it just kind of, in a way, it shows their lack of a a willingness to grow and to learn. But Peter asked Jesus, well, how many times he is to forgive and restore a person who has been, who has sinned, or has been disciplined against, or however you want to put it. Now, the idea that Peter comes to Jesus and asks this question is really the, the context, you might say, of, of this text, of Scripture. Um, God blesses those people who ask questions when they ask the right people. And, I mean, if you were with Jesus, wouldn't you ask him questions? I, I, I mean, I wouldn't stop asking him questions. I remember one time we, we went out to lunch after one of the prophecy conferences and Hassan was with us and David Hawking and we were there at, at the lunch and uh, I think it was just the two of us and uh, Hassan just kept on asking him questions. I mean, one question after the other. Finally, David Hawking just said, are you Jewish or what? He goes, you asked too many questions, you know. He was trying to eat and he couldn't eat because he kept on asking, just kept on asking him question after question. It was funny. He goes, You're, you must be Jewish because that's what... You know, if you know anything about Jewish people, that's, they're always asking you questions. They're always kind of provoking the conversation. And in, a pe- in effect here, that's what, what Peter's doing. He's, he wants to ask Christ this question because it's on his heart. And maybe it was on the heart of the other ones, but they didn't have the boldness to ask. And so he says, look, Lord, okay, let's say we go after this guy and we restore him as our brother. Okay, we got the reconciliation, we got everything. But you know what? It happens again. He sins again. Does this forgiveness that you're talking about here, does this have a limit? That's his question, isn't it? I mean, after it happens again and again and again, do you finally say, look, pal, I'm not going to forgive you anymore. (laughs) That's the question. At what point does our forgiveness run out? That's what Peter wants to know. I've already forgiven him five times. I've already forgiven him four times. Whatever number you want to put in there, do I have to forgive him again? And so he says, how often, Lord, will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? till seven times? As many as seven times? Now, When Peter asks if it's seven times, he's asking, is there a limit on on forgiveness? That's what he's saying. And in their culture, in the Old Testament, you can go through in different verses, it points out simply that in the Jewish culture, they were to uh, forgive one another three times, up to three times. But if somebody did something to you again, a fourth time, you didn't have to forgive them after that. And they pull that out of a scripture in the Old Testament. Um, and we're, we're not going to get all that today. We'll touch on that next week. But they really wanted to know, Peter wanted to know, where's the limit? Now, look at what he says here. He says, How often will my brother sin? What's it say? Against who? Against me, right? That's what Peter's asking. He's saying, how many times does a person have to sin against me before I just say, that's it, I'm not forgiving you again? See, in our logic, I mean, we have a limit, right? Don't we? I mean, I do. Most of us probably would. If I, you know, did something that offended you, And you came up and said, oh, you know, this offended me. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. And you said, oh, you know, it's okay, I forgive you. And then five minutes later, I did the same thing. And you probably think, this guy must be thick. Okay, look, you just did the same thing. You called me the same name, you did the same thing. It's offensive to me. Oh, okay, sorry. Well, all right, I forgive you. Fifteen minutes later, I do the same thing. To the same person. I mean, how long, Jesus, does this have to go on? How long am I to continue to forgive this person? Because it's a very personal thing. That's what he says against me. He doesn't say against us or against you. He's saying, Peter wants to know, where's this run out? How many times, God? And he thinks that saying seven times, which is basically double plus one of of the... Judean culture requirement of you have to forgive somebody at least three times and Peter's adding one so he's thinking okay seven double plus one man Jesus is going to say wow Peter that's great yeah on the eighth time blow them off (laughs) but Jesus doesn't say that does he Jesus says just the opposite he says something that just kind of doesn't set well with us. Now what what God wants us to see out of this is that forgiveness, first of all, it is a choice of ours to forgive or not to forgive. And we will bear the consequences depending on what we choose. If we choose not to forgive somebody for whatever I mean, it could be the most horrendous thing, or it could be the slightest little thing. Whatever. doesn't matter. He doesn't say that. He doesn't, he doesn't enter into that, well, if they do this, then that's really bad, and you don't have to forgive them. That, no. He's talking about forgiveness. And the reason he does that is because when God forgave you, did he forgive you for just the bad stuff? <laughs> or the really bad stuff? Did God take your, your, your soul and pass it through a filter and say, okay, well, this wasn't really that bad. That doesn't have to be forgiven. Well, this is really bad. I'll forgive that, or I'm not going to forgive that. I'll forgive this little thing. He didn't do that. God granted us forgiveness based on what Christ had done on Calvary. And so the same way we can't come to people when they do something wrong against us. we can't be selective in our forgiveness. It has to be a blanket thing. And we do it because God commands us to. There's examples of this in the Bible. We see the forgiveness of Jesus. Biblical testimonies of forgiveness. In Luke 23, 34, when he's hanging on the cross, he's basically beaten to a pulp. He's, there's nothing really left of him. He's naked, covered with blood. Crown of thorns smashed into his forehead, into his brow. Hammered nails through his hands and through his feet. He's hanging there naked for the whole world to see. And what's he say? Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's an example for us. And he's forgiving pagans. And yet, within the body of Christ, so many times we find it hard to forgive one another, to even go there. And yet, Christ clearly shows us the example of forgiveness. We also see the forgiveness of Stephen in Acts 7.6. As Stephen was pushed off a ledge and crushed beneath these stones as they stoned him for his stand for Christ, he said in Acts seven. 60, he said this, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Sounds awfully similar to, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And those who were standing by watching Stephen as he died, even that of of the Pharisee, the Jewish leader Saul, was standing by as they executed Stephen who later became the Apostle Paul somehow that testimony of Stephen's willingness to forgive even his enemies must have touched his heart. See God's people are to be like Christ. We're to be like Stephen. We're to forgive at once every sin that is committed against us regardless of who the sinner is, whether he repents or not. I mean, see, a lot of times we make our, conditional, our, our, our forgiveness conditional, don't we? Well, they never repented, so I don't have to forgive them, no. As I said earlier, we're commanded to forgive. If there's no reconciliation, there's no reconciliation. We're still commanded to forgive. And there's a practical reason for that. You can't get on with your life if you don't forgive some things. We're to hold no grudges against any person who has wronged us, no matter what they have done. And I I understand that. You know what? That's that's throwing a big, you know, net out there, because some of you are probably sitting here today saying, "Well, you don't understand what was done to me." You know, maybe when you were a child, or maybe in this situation or that situation, you don't understand. You you have no clue. You have no right to tell me that I should have to forgive this person. Well, I have every right based upon the word of God. Because that's what God's word says. I'm not making it up. It says that we should forgive those who wrong us. And the reason we do, turn over to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. and We'll begin to prepare our hearts for communion. Psalm 51, verse 4. Actually, beginning in verse 1, he says, Have mercy on me, O God. Psalm 51. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. And then he says this. The psalmist says, David... Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. He cried out to God for forgiveness against whom he had sinned. Do you understand that when you sin, it doesn't matter how big or how small, it doesn't matter what kind of sin it is, whatever, every sin that you've ever sinned in your whole life was committed against a holy God. The good news is that God has forgiven every sin you've ever committed against Him if you've trusted in Christ. That's the other side of it. That's the forgiveness of God. God forgives us. He models forgiveness for us. Once again, God isn't saying, oh, you have to go do this, but I don't have to. I mean, it's as if you walked up into heaven itself and stood before God himself in that holy place and committed every sin that you were ever to commit, right in his face. See, we don't think that way because God's not here physically with us as far as he's here spiritually, but He's not, he doesn't follow us around physically. But he sees everything that goes on. It's as if we're committing that sin right in his presence. So consider this if you have a hard time forgiving. Are you better than God? <laughs> Are you better than God? You think you're better than God if you can't forgive because God forgives. I mean, we can't even see the full evil of sin. We're not omniscient like God is. God sees everything. And He is holy in every aspect. And yet, He chooses to forgive our sin through christ well let's look at two different types of forgiveness and then we'll have our communion time god forgives first of all a christian in a judicial sense what do i mean by that judicial forgiveness basically judicial forgiveness occurs when you're saved the moment you place your faith and trust in christ god forgives all your sins past present and future That's good to know, isn't it? Doesn't that give you a little bit of security in your relationship with Christ, with God? I mean, if God were to just say, you know what, Steve, I'm going to forgive your sins up to this point. Now, you're, you're good with me now, but boy, you, if you mess up again, you're on your own. We'd all be in hell. There'd be no hope for any of us. But God forgives us judicially, a once-for-all transaction. That's how we're we're made Uh, justified in his sight, justification. God imputes the righteousness of Christ on us. He puts us, he hides us in Christ's righteousness because we have none of our own. But then there's also a different kind of forgiveness, a relational or a daily kind of forgiveness. Remember, the judicial kind happens once, and it covers everything, past, present, future. The daily kind of forgiveness is a a forgiveness that we're instructed to do, and that's an ongoing forgiveness. It doesn't stop. Whereas the judicial kind of forgiveness is a once-for-all positional act of God, the relational forgiveness is that daily cleansing that we even receive from God on a daily basis, our sanctification. He washes us with the Word. He fills us with the Spirit. Those are the two types of forgiveness. And they're to be expressed among ourselves as well, not just from God. God forgives us judicially and relationally, but we're to have these same kind of forgivenesses in our own lives. When a believer sins, you are to immediately, the Bible instructs us, to forgive that person in your heart. That's why it says, do it as from your heart. See, it's easy to utter those words, oh, I forgive you, and then to go away still bearing a grudge in your heart. But when you honestly and sincerely forgive someone from the heart, that resembles the judicial act on the part of God. You may not experience all the fullness of forgiveness, relationally speaking, until that person even repents of their sin, and the reconciliation process begins, and it happens, and it comes. Those two people are back together, and there's no no hindrance to their, their relationship. But the immediate forgiveness we should have for someone is identified in 1 Peter 4, eight, where Peter said himself, For love shall cover the multitude of sins. We should love our brother or sister in Christ, no matter what they do to us. We should be willing to extend that hand of forgiveness, that hand of love. And then the, the restoration process will begin to take place. And that's what Matthew 18 is teaching us. We always forgive and then by forgiving in our hearts whether that person ever gets right in their own life or not is irrelevant. It's kind of like an internal forgiveness. They don't want to deal with you. That's their problem. But you need to move on. And later on when they restored themselves and they come to their own senses, then they realize, wow, and then the reconciliation can finally take place. But can you imagine if, if that person goes off and they have their issue and you have your issue and you're holding a grudge and that God speaks to that person and they come back to you and they say, you know, I just want to apologize for what I did five years ago or ten years ago or whatever it is, and the words out of your mouth, you know what, I'll never forgive you for that. I can't believe you didn't. Come to me sooner. You know, we just start with all that. And we just rip the wound wide open again. And it all starts over in the vicious circle. Sometimes we just need to ask God for the grace and the wisdom and the ability to say, okay, this is enough. I'm going to put an end to this right now. You know what? God, give me the forgiveness in my heart that I need toward this person. Let's move on. And that's a supernatural thing, because you know what? Both men and women can hold on to things for years. Those of you who are married, you know what I'm talking about. Getting a little argument, and something comes up, and, well, last month, you know, you said this, and you you get in this whole thing. I mean, wouldn't it be good just to, you know, hey, the argument's over, you make up, you just forget the whole thing. Just wipe it from your mind. Ask God to do that. He'll do that. He'll allow you to allow each kind of section of, of this time that God has given us. Whether it's a minute, an hour, a day, a month, or a year. Don't live it in unforgiveness. Because if you are, you're grieving the heart of God. And you're ruining your own, your own life and your own testimony before others. Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet. They shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. You know, when Christ came to this earth and he died on a cross, I'm so thankful that he didn't die for some of our sins. He didn't die for just a percentage of them. He died for all of them. And 1 John says as believers that we, when we confess our sins, when we, when we tell God, you know what? God, I blew it in this area or that area or whatever. It says that he is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want to ask you, as you go through this next week and even before our communion time, I want you to search in your own heart. Is there, is there some lingering unforgiveness in your own life, in your own heart? Because if there is... It's grieving to the Lord. It truly is. It's something that hinders your walk with the Lord. It hinders your relationship with the body. And you need to deal with it. And there's no better time than right now. Just go to God and ask God. God, give me a fresh perspective on this. Father, we pray today that you would minister to our hearts as we just sing a song to prepare for communion time. And Lord, that you would uh, show us um, your love and the sacrifice that you gave on our behalf through Christ. Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts for even next week as we get into this parable and what it actually is that Jesus is teaching and wants us to know. But Lord, it's very clear through your word that we are called to forgive one another as you forgave us with no conditions. It's not whether even we feel like forgiving that person. It's, it should be irrelevant. And when we don't do that, Lord, we're in direct violation of your word. We're sinning before you. And we need to repent, we need to stop it, and we need to move on. It's a very practical teaching for our Christian walk. Someone wrongs you, forgive that person and move on. Don't bear a grudge, don't hold that over their head. Because we know, Lord, that you don't do that with us. This table makes that very clear that when Christ came and he died, that this bread, that cracker that we'll eat that symbolizes his broken body and the cup that we'll drink symbolizing his blood, it restored our relationship that was severed and broken by sin. And Lord, if you weren't willing to forgive us, we, still, we wouldn't even be here today. We'd be in hell. Father, I pray that we would express that same willingness to forgive others when they wrong us, as you have with us. I pray if there's anyone here who's yet to put their faith, their trust in Christ. Lord, we all probably sin every day in a myriad of ways. And Father, there will come a day of judgment when we stand before a holy God. And if we stand there without Christ and without his righteousness, We will be found in our sin, wanting. And the Bible says that we will be cast into eternal hell, a place of torment, a place of utter separation from God and all others. We don't wish that on anybody. We pray that you would draw them, those unbelieving hearts, to yourself. You would move and work. Pray now you prepare our hearts for our communion time. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and we'll sing this.